0: Shit, shit, so about the shit. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Nerd Shit. Nerd Shit. shit. Today, we're going to be talking Star Trek Beyond. We're going to go and finish up the Kelvin trilogy and the, uh, you know, the J.J. Abrams produced Star Trek movies. Uh, spoilers ahead, but uh, I'm Sam Wilson joining us as always.
1: Zach Schneider
0: and I am Troy Hensley. Uh how are you do how are you doing Troy? How did the uh the callback for the the stand up
2: thing go? It looks like I'm going to be opening once or twice a month for some comedians. So maybe I will meet some nice creepers that like uh <laughs> fat people that wear lipstick and that'll get me to go on tour with them. Yeah, that's excellent. awesome!
0: Excellent, excellent! It's your own, uh, your own marvelous Mrs. Maisel uh, reality. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, that's, that's such a good show. Like, I, I almost like, it I, is. I, 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 we only talk mm-hmm. about nerd shit on this show, and like, there's no way I can spin Maisel as being nerd shit, really. But like, I almost like want to just like we say. <laughs> Fuck it, it's my podcast. We're doing Bit, Bit Basil this week. I think we should just do it. It's so good.
1: I'm down. Oh, I'm nice down. I am, I'm deeply in love with uh, Tony Shalhoub's character, Abe Scott. He's so good. I have been trying to get into
2: that show as an extra for years. Mm-hmm. And I applied for the extras when I went on vacation. And I did not keep a good eye on my on my emails during my vacation. And when I started checking them the Monday after I came back, I had an invitation to become an extra and Mrs. Maisel. And let me tell yeah. you, I was so bummed out because the day that I saw the, the email was two days after I had to confirm. I was so upset. Oh my god! I have been trying to get into that show. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm sorry, man.
1: <laughs> that's
0: painful. Zach, how's it going with you? It's going pretty good. It's going pretty good.
1: Um, yeah, not much going on here. Just chilling, enjoy life. Great, awesome. That's that's the best.
0: That's the best way. This is the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing good. I've been busy today. I uh, just had an audition. That I shot today, which I feel pretty good about. Um, awesome some other stuff which i can't really talk about on air but uh, i'll if if it it goes anywhere also i'll I'll mention it in in future podcasts but some some hopefully promising developments in uh in the acting career um
2: all right congratulations (laughs) thank you thank
0: you troy we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and talk about some pre-show topics there okay this is a topic that actually this has been out for a few weeks at this point I realize, like, I have just neglected to really bring it up on on, the, on this podcast. Uh, partially because I'm not actually a fan of this property at all. But it occurred to me it's a big enough deal that we actually should talk about it. MOTU! Masters of the Universe. There was a trailer for the new Kevin Smith animated Masters of the Universe TV show. I watched it. I don't really know anything about MOTU, but it looks fun. I like seeing Mark Hamill as a Skeletor. So, I don't know.
2: Any, any thoughts on this? It looks fucking phenomenal. Oh, my God. First off, the trailer has the We Need a Hero song. Yeah, I, I was like, As I was enjoying that. that. That was a good, that was that was that was a good, good one. <laughs> First of all, I am fucking in with just that. And then I see Skeletor, one of my bucket list characters, mind you. I will make a fan movie just to be able to play Skeletor once I lose a few pounds. But and then I hear Skeletor speak and it's Mark fucking Hamill always gets the best roles mm-hmm. but he's worked for that mm-hmm. he's worked for that and he man I, it looks fucking amazing I'm excited I I rewatched the trailer right before we started with my with my steps on and and he was really interested in it so it's it's going to be really good
0: not only do you have to lose weight to play Skeletor, you gotta lose all your flesh and organs and just be, I mean, not know. Me, <laughs> it's yes. you really commit to it. It's like, I am a skeleton Method acting.
2: person, but for some reason I still have biceps. Like, <laughs> Tremendous
1: Skeletor. He is weirdly buff.
2: He is. I want to I want to do, he, he's not supposed to have any muscles, but you know. Yeah. I do want to, uh, I do want to play a live action Skeletor. Yeah. And I would train for years to play that role. I mean, Seriously. He's well, okay. I'm
0: totally gonna steal a shtick from uh, one of my favorite comedians, Mark Ellis, who, he has this whole bit about Skeletor, but it's just like, well, you know, like, it, it makes sense that Skeletor is buff, because, like, you look at these bald guys, they always get buff when they go bald, because they're trying to overcompensate. <laughs> like, how buff would you have to get if you not only lost your
2: hair, but your entire face? You know? <laughs> it's like <laughs> It was supposed to be, um, the last, the last He-Man series that they did, think in the early 2000s Mm -hmm. uh they explained it as him being a nice human being until one day uh someone did a spell on him and he was cursed to have that skull for a face Mm -hmm. i think he was he-man's uncle in the series i could be wrong i haven't watched him like 10 years or so but, um, so it's supposed to be a curse, but I think you're absolutely right.
1: <laughs>
2: yes, a curse. I, think, I need the muscles. <laughs> I think you
1: remember his design from that. You know, he had this big, like, super villain goatee, and I'm like, I'm honestly yes. not sure whether or not he looks more or less evil after he got a skull face.
2: <laughs> I thought, as the uncle, he was fucking scary. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that says villain, if anything, ever. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sadly, I'm sadly bummed that it has uh, no relation to the recent uh, She-Ra series, as this is, you know, continuing the um, 80s series. Yes. Um, but otherwise, I'm yeah. extremely excited. I also deeply love how uh, Prince Adam, the uh, alter ego of He-Man, is like everyone, every single other person, including Tila and the sorceress, and even Orko, for some reason, are, like, super buff in this. And then you would cut to Adam, and he's, like, this little twink. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's that's right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I would love to do She-Ra on this show. That would be a lot of fun. Oh. I fucking love She-Ra. I love, I
1: love that show. More so
2: than I love He-Man. I don't even like He-Man. I just like Skeletor. That's why I watch it. <laughs> I don't watch it for He-Man.
1: <laughs> Skeletor is the best thing to come out of E-Man. Let's let's be honest there. The,
0: the thing that makes me hesitant is the fact that it's a a, a continuation of the 80s show, which I haven't watched, so yeah. but like I know that they're probably gonna make it accessible to new audiences, but the thing that has me excited is not anything about Masters of the Universe, it's Kevin Smith. Like, yeah. honestly, the fact yes. that he's the, the, the main producer behind this show is like I just love Kevin Smith. Like, I, I actually just this past year and actually I think going into this year, I pretty much watched all of the the movies and the Viewist universe, which is the universe that Jay and Silent Bob are in uh, and that, that Kevin Smith directed. And like, it's... All, all of them are great. All of the, those movies are great. There actually wasn't a bad one in the bunch. I was actually really surprised about that. Like, some of them were better than others, but yeah.
2: He's a hero of mine, and he's going the route that you and I are going, Sam. Mm-hmm. You know, he started directing his own stuff, and really, before anybody starts giving you money, and I can say this for a fact, and he has said this, you have to do your own first feature link. You have to save up and you have to get that done and you have to get that out there. It's hard. It's hard work. But once you make that first feature length, people start coming out of the woodworks. Oh, you can do more than a than a short. Can I give you some money and you make this for me? And you're not going to say no because that's the way you build. But that that's exactly what he's done. He has built his way up to this more corporate jobs, these more corporate jobs. And I am so fucking happy for him. And I hope that I hope that this Masters of the Universe, I hope it does so fucking well. I'm going to watch it, but I'm going to encourage other people to watch it, even if they don't like the show for the simple fact that I want to see him do more. I want to see what's next on his list, because I would love to see him make a fucking Batman movie. I would love to see him make more comic book stuff so yeah, sure. i'm i'm really gonna push it because of that
0: He still when he made clerks he still worked at quick stop during the nights when yep. he was filming clerks uh during the or, yep. or i think he worked there during the day and then was filming at nighttime which was why the uh that's why the the screen door is closed the whole movie is to make it to hide the fact that it was nighttime
2: you have to hustle in this business yeah
0: and he shot it in black and white because he didn't have money for lights like that was, that was literally the reason. Yep. Alright, one other trailer that just came out this past week was uh, the second trailer for Shang-Chi, and we're seeing a lot more of the plot uh, the, this this time. Looks really interesting. Looks like uh, there's going to be some, some classic Marvel daddy issues going on with the hero mm-hmm. and the bad guy.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one day, I want to see a Marvel property where the hero is on completely good terms with their parents, which... Actually, you might literally have to wait for Miss <laughs> Marvel for that to happen. as that that is yeah. the only Marvel character I know of who is just like on good terms with her parents?
0: I'm on good terms with my parents, and they're alive. You yeah, know, not <laughs> dead. I'm
1: on good terms with them. Like she has other issues that she has to work through, but like, yeah, it's it's, it's classic Marvel. Yeah, no, nobody can have normal parent issues, but no, it looks it looks super fun. Yeah, it looks like we're gonna get some cool martial arts. Some heightened martial arts uh, via the Ten Rings as well. Um, looks like it's going to be almost a bit of a callback to you know classic wuxia films. So that's that's going to be fun. Also, uh, really loved the uh, little teaser at the end of a fight between two unexpected characters. Yeah, between uh, Wong, who you know is now a classic mainstay of the Marvel universe, and surprisingly, the Abomination is back. Oh, is that who yes. that was? I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even
0: see. Yes. I just saw I just saw a guy like I didn't I didn't recognize Wong either. I just thought it was a guy fighting a
1: monster. I didn't even notice Yeah, him. it's it's a super <laughs> quick shot. You got to slow it down and then you can see that, you know, that specifically is Wong, not just any sorcerer. Um yeah. and the Abomination's design has changed a little bit. He does have like the classic finiers from the comics. Yeah, like the overall face and the uh, back spikes are still um, very much. got like I'm not so, and
0: this this is by design for me. I'm not somebody who watches trailers closely, it, which is on purpose because I it's I do want to go into these things surprised. So like I just I, I yeah I, I'm not I'm not somebody who like freeze frames stuff like that. So I I never would have honestly picked up on that had you not said that. Mm-hmm.
2: Sorry. No, I mean you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think that. They did an amazing job on this trailer Mm -hmm. because I'm interested. And this is something that I will look into. I'll look into the comic books and I'll look into the villains Mm -hmm. because it's looking mighty good. And it's looking like it's going to build their they've been building their core story through these shows this Mm -hmm. these past two years because COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's pretty fucking genius to do it this way. And I'm looking forward to it. the The graphics, the dragon. Oh my god! When that dragon came on the screen, I was like, mm-hmm. "Just nice. slowly I'm them. in. Yeah, I was in a dragon. You know me and monsters. I'm mm-hmm. I'm a simple idiot. I'm I'm down. <laughs> I, mean, hey, I, love,
1: I love monsters too i'm just like fun
2: it adds to representation we get mm-hmm. to see the wizards go in again mm-hmm. and it it adds to this eastern uh this eastern magic mm-hmm. i love me some magic i love mm-hmm. me some gods i love me some shit like that so i'm down and i'll i'll be looking into it uh,
0: i'm curious to see what tie-ins to the iron man movies are going to be in here and the, the reason i say this like so we know with, if the title is And the Ten Rings. We know the Ten Rings are a big thing. We know in Iron Man 1, the Ten Rings was the name of the terrorist organization that captured him. So I wonder what the connection is going to be there. And then also, the fact that it looks like the Mandarin is going to be... The real Mandarin is going to be in this movie. Is he going to like yeah. mention the fact that... Oh yeah, that that one that one fake Mandarin. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't me. That was nobody. That was you know. genius.
1: <laughs> I just, I just that was genius. See... The fake Mandarin. <laughs> yeah. I just want to see somebody get locked in a dungeon, and right, their cellmate next to them is Trevor Slattery. <laughs> yeah.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> uh, we need you for
1: Academy Award winner Ben
0: Kingsley. We need you for this one stupid cameo. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I loved it. Oh my god.
0: Yeah. No, I'm excited. I'm actually really excited for this one. All right, let's uh, let's actually just slide on into Star Trek Beyond. uh spoilers start here for Star Trek Beyond. So make sure you've seen this movie. We're gonna start by talking about some of our hero characters. Let's talk about kind of the the uh, direction of Kirk in this movie, or the fact that he feels kind of directionless. For a lot of this movie and almost is going to like give up being a captain to become a vice admiral, which he of course changes his mind at the
2: end, which is somewhat predictable. But I don't know. What do you guys think? You know, I have to go in and I have to tell you, I take that that moment of dramatic (laughs) flair. I have to tell you. But no, the direction that they take Kirk into in this is nice because it's reminiscent of William Shatner's series that he wrote, the, the Kirk series. Now, he wrote these when Kirk was older, and it was after Kirk died. So after Generations, uh, William Shatner wrote The Return, The Ashes of Eden, and there was a whole trilogy and a few other books in there that resurrected James C. Kirk. It's actually ripped off by Paramount and done in their last three or four movies. They used bits and pieces of uh, William Shatner's Chronicles. They probably paid him, but the ideas came from William Shatner. So we see this this out of order, out of chaos, broken Captain Kirk kind of come in, and it's on par. I thought that it was well-written. I thought that it was interesting to see him go through this at a young age. Now, I have a fit about him dying in the last one. I do, because that was bullshit. But that's taken into consideration from Simon Pegg, and I think that's where it comes from, because whoever wrote this is definitely a a Star Trek fan. And I think that Simon Pegg should write all of the rest of the movies from now on. Nobody else ever
1: writes it. (laughs) This version of Kirk, um, I mentioned earlier, is he, he had a very different childhood, a very different upbringing. But at this point in his life, he somewhat has actually dovetailed um, together with, I'm not sure if dovetailed is the right word, I guess for first Point being, he, his life is now on a very similar trajectory where he is. Um, emotionally and just as a person is very similar to where the original TOS James G. Kirk was. Personality-wise, responsibility-wise, he's actually a very similar person, because he has now had that experience. Um, He is fully accepting the role of a captain, and we see almost... This exact same conversation, these exact same feelings in the Wrath of Khan, actually. Um, Kirk and Spock have another moment where he yes. brings him brings him some uh, booze on his birthday. This is very much a very, very classic Kirk conundrum, that he does want some direction in his life. He wants to have an idea of where he's going of what he's achieving but at the same time he's not certain whether or not he wants to step back and let someone else take a chair as much as the random scrapes are getting attacked by surprisingly tiny paranoid <laughs> alien diplomats <laughs> 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 um as much fun, as, movie. Yeah, as much as aggravating as that is um he does enjoy the chase um searching what's for what's out there and so this is a very classic her conundrum um i'm very much on board with this being his issue in the movie as this is something that you know historically throughout tos throughout the movies um kirk has struggled with this and i do enjoy seeing this struggle even at this younger age
0: yeah i agree i think it worked for me overall and it's interesting like there's there's lines in there and i know you know like troy and i i know we're not gonna fight over uh into darkness again because we already had that fight but <laughs> th- I, I still think that the, the reason why kirk's death like like I, I even think that in some ways kirk's death is even more justified by dialogue in this movie where bones has a line uh during that that one scene like the when he's bringing you know scotch uh to to kirk on his his birthday and he's saying gotcha. he's like it's it's time to stop you know trying to be george kirk and start learning how to be jim kirk like i feel that in this timeline jim kirk has been trying to be his dad the whole time and that that's why to me him sacrificing himself for his crew just as his dad did f- did feel appropriate but like he's more and more becoming like I feel like these movies are the 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 uh, kind of the, the the trajectory of him becoming more so the classic Kirk than he was originally. You know, it's him kind of finding himself as we kind of go along. So I, I I enjoyed overall. I mean, yeah, with with both Kirk and Spock, and we're about to get to Spock, but like with with both these characters, like there's still a certain kind of movie for, formulaic thing of like. Oh, like at the beginning of the movie, oh, are they actually going to leave Starfleet or is he actually going to leave the captain's chair? It's like, no, of course they're not. Like, they're going to go through this adventure and then they're going to change their mind at the end of the movie. It's like, it happens completely the way, you know, you predict it's it's going to happen. Yeah. So, which which is not really, you know, it's not really a problem, I guess, but it, it is fairly predictable. But
2: I have to say the plot holes that J.J. Abrams left with uh, Into the Darkness, Simon Pegg really plugged them. He did, and and I agree with you. The lines and the way that he wrote these characters, he did actually make it a better story with Jim dying. He mm-hmm. took that into consideration, and you're absolutely right, like that about that. And I can agree with you, but I still say that I don't like I don't like the ending of that movie. I, I understand that, but Simon Pegg made it good they did make up for it
0: uh all right let's talk about spock uh spock who learns that spock prime sadly passed away which of course was uh kind of a a meta narrative on the fact that leonard nimoy passed away uh, shortly before they made this film as Mm -hmm. well and of course like spock of course dealing with the existential crisis of an older version of himself dying and then, of course, like, still a little bit, like, he's he's had a little bit of the struggle, like, both at the end of uh, Star Trek 2009 and a little bit in, into Darkness of, like, you know, like, like, he, like, he has a scene with Spock Prime at the end of 2009 where he's considering leaving Starfleet in order to help basically rebuild the Vulcan race mm-hmm. after the destruction of their home planet. I felt that his story in this movie felt a little bit redundant from... That from again the end of Star Trek two thousand nine is like did he already kind of go through that but you know it's it's still I can understand those feelings being kind of resurfacing as a result of Spock Prime's death so what did you think of Spock's uh,
2: overall character journey in this film so Spock Prime has the struggle of reuniting Romulans and Vulcans mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fighting racism and making the universe a better place because the Romulans. And the Vulcans are reunited. That is a task that Spock Prime does his whole life. And that's something that he was, he wanted to start doing and he fought with during the original series, according to the books and, and going into the comics and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that always plagued uh, Spock. Spock was a very proud Vulcan, just as much as he is a proud human. And it took him a long time to accept that human peace. Mm-hmm. So seeing uh, the Vulcans are in, in this universe, the Vulcans are in the same situation that the Romulans are in that Spock Prime has to fight. So it just makes sense that this Spock is being tugged to fight this war. And, and if they made two more movies and he still had that same problem, I would believe it, because that is something that is core to Spock, to helping his kindling survive. That's the way he saw the Romulans, and that's the way this Spock sees the Vulcans. Hmm. So I see it as him trying to make sure that the species is better after
1: he's gone. I agree. This is kind of a classic Spock issue. It's very much asking... What is the best course of my life? What he wants to do is he wants to stay with Uhura. He wants to, you know, stay with Starfleet, stay with Jim. What he feels he needs to do is to help the Vulcans, help his people. And I feel like this is actually a perfect time for this to come back up, as the reason he was comfortable going to Starfleet is, as Spot Prime said, there's two of you. I can do the work um, that I can. I can be... The Spock that stays with the Vulcans helps rebuild the society. Um, since I am actually a Vulcan elder, I can I have years of experience and knowledge, you know, of our culture, of our history. And since he spent so long on re- on uh, unification, he actually has possibly even more knowledge of, of Vulcan history, particularly as it pertains to. Um, the schism between Vulcans and Romulans than almost any other Vulcan alive. So he was very comfortable with doing that here. It's that old question of what ultimately is my life going to stand for? And I think it's especially, one thing that I noticed especially is that when they had the uh, memorial image of uh, Spock Prime, um, you notice that his, uh, his date of death is Essentially, this year, so even though this version of Spock had been alive for well over a hundred years, he only lived to thirty three years after his death, literally in a different past. But you know, seeing his own age um being the date of death for Spock was probably a much of a, a big shock to this Kelvin timeline it has him thinking, okay, so what what is my legacy going to be? What will I have ended up doing It's a natural thing for Spock to worry about and he's often very frequently has difficulty dealing with his own personal needs, um, his own personal desires versus his duty. And in this case, I think it was it was helpful for him to go through this journey and see that just because this is a different form of duty, because it is not the same path that Spock Prime took in the end, um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad path. And especially, I think, Seeing that photo at the end of the original Enterprise crew from TOS, I think that helped knowing it's like, okay, this actually was, even to his death, um, he thought it important to keep this old photograph with him among his personal effects. Even when he he was on that trip to Romulus, on that ill-fated trip to Romulus, with very few personal items, if any, that he'd be taking with him in that tiny ship this was an important effect Um, this was an important thing to keep on him at all times was his time his life spent with starfleet with um, the crew of the enterprise Um, so i do think that was important in you know, making his decision and overall I thought it was a good story
0: it's worth noting too that there's there's always going to be different forms of duty some duty is going to be really <laughs> solid some duty is going to be a lot more fluid um
1: <laughs> some is going to get real chunky and break apart <laughs> into smaller duties <laughs>
0: sometimes you feel your duty within yourself but it's just not coming out I don't know how- <laughs>
2: was also nice getting to mourn the life and legacy of leonard nimoy mm-hmm. as a multi-generational uh, event with star trek fans mm-hmm. it was yeah. gorgeous
0: I, I agree with that i thought that it was actually very respectfully done it's like it's like this, this is a universe where depending on what time travel shenanigans people go to their date of birth could be after their date of death potentially <laughs> <laughs> I was born after I died. I almost, that almost <laughs> happened to date in one TG episode. He went back to the time of Mark Twain and got decapitated.
1: You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that was a weird one. It's like, alright, so yeah. my new body has my old head and my old head <laughs> has got to get stuck in the past so it can get attached to my new... I don't even... Uh, my age is actually really weird. because different parts yeah. of different ages now. <laughs> error.
2: Error.
0: Error. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about Jayla, the new character, and also Scotty. Like they, they, Those two have a, a really fun dynamic with each other. Jayla actually honestly kind of steals this movie from me. I'm going to be honest. I love Jayla. Yeah. She, I, I she really does. love her.
2: Jayla is badass from the very beginning to the very end. Jayla is badass. And I want to see her pop up somewhere in some Star Trek. Somewhere. Just give me that. Please.
1: (laughs) I agree. I want to
2: see another movie with her in it.
1: I just love that she's this, like, super tech, she's this tech hero. Like, yeah, she's got a, you know, fighting stick, and that's okay, but she's, you know, relies on traps, on decoys. She may have also accidentally given the Federation their first cloaking device. We'll see later on, but... (laughs) (laughs) And
2: you know what's beautiful about Jayla? Mm Mm-hmm. They spent time building a character to make her badass to fight with a stick. Unlike Star Wars did with their lady that fights with a stick, that they didn't build character. Oh, I'm sorry. Ray, <laughs> cough, cough.
1: <laughs> I like Ray, sorry. but <laughs> J- Jada's story is a little more thought. God damn
2: out. it! Be- <laughs> in one movie, she does more than Ray did in three movies.
1: I don't know, if uh, I that I don't know, Ray. but. <laughs>
2: i'm throwing it out there for y'all to bite but there's no arguments damn
0: i don't i don't take the bait anymore i'm just like no. we'll we'll, we'll leave that you're used to my bullshit we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk we're gonna talk about those movies eventually um okay she has, i really enjoy her dynamic with scotty I really mm-hmm. do. I think that those two have yes. a great da- dynamic with each other. Absolutely. I love the fact that she's super literal with, like, the way she, like, the name she calls everybody. Montgomery Scotty, uh, James <laughs> T., you know? Like, <laughs> she's not really sure, like, what's a first name and what's a last name. Or what, she doesn't understand the concept of the nicknames. It's just like... Makes enough sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, like, and everyone's, like, everyone's just like, that's close enough. We're not going to correct her. It's like, you yeah. know what, whatever.
1: I also, I also love that, you know, she's just this weird scrapper kid who likes, you know, classic punk and uh, metal music. And I'm like, yeah, you go. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Like a lot of rap, really. Oh yeah. Like Star Trek sometimes does this, but like, I always found it weird in TNG and yeah, especially TNG where whenever they'd have, you know, classical music, it'd be you know jazz or actual classical music or you know these old tunes that would be old by today's standards and i'm like okay but this is the future so really old classical music would be what we're listening to now and i do like how they yes yeah. how they point that out it's like i love how they did that yes
2: (laughs) oh classical this this is the
1: music our music is
0: based off of (laughs) well i think in old star trek and i don't think this is bad at all like i think old star trek was was trying to be like very timeless in a way of like um the, the culture that's considered classical by today's standards is still considered classical like hundreds of years in the future and like i i like the what they were saying it's like oh you know things like mozart and shakespeare i mean Star Trek used to be very obsessed with Shakespeare, Um, (laughs) but things like Mozart and Shakespeare are still are still enduring even after multiple centuries, which I'm sure that will be the case. But yes, like what about our current pop culture? Will that also kind of what will kind of endure and be considered the classics by you know 200, 300 years from now
1: is interesting. Star Trek probably will be, but they can't show that in this.
0: yeah exactly Star Trek is like no like like the, the, really what's considered like high cinema in the future is the Fast and the Furious actually um,
1: <laughs> and now I'll perform a monologue from the classic Fast 9 can we talk about bones I, I just yeah. saw that on the
2: yeah, list yeah, yeah. and yeah
0: we'll talk about bones yeah
2: okay are we supposed to talk about it now I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, let's let's talk about Bones. Troy, take let's, it away. <laughs> I'm
2: sorry. No, you're good. You're
0: good. Let's, let's jump on Bones. Let's jump his bones. <laughs> Carl Urban, he's a handsome dude. Yeah.
2: Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Uh, he's, he's a little too scruffy for me. He's really pretty. And sometimes I do have to dabble my chin after I watch him for a little bit. Um, <laughs> but... Carl Urban as Bones, it's every movie. He just gets better and better and better and better. Seriously, he, he is one of our greatest chameleons of our day. One of the greatest uh, character actors. But to see what he does with, with Bones is just gorgeous. His mannerisms, his voice... Every time he moves, I don't see DeForest Kelly. I don't see uh, Carl Urban. I see bones. I cannot believe how Dr. McCoy is just given this life, and these two people are playing them. But you really can't tell them apart. It's just gorgeous. He's playing him in this manner, like he's this space cowboy doctor. And that's, that's the best way that I can sum it up. And in this movie, he just gets better and better. And I want to see more of him playing Bones, more than anyone else in the cast. And don't get me wrong. Simon Pegg is amazing as Scotty. And in my head, Simon Pegg is the better Scotty. But that's my point. Carl Urban, I don't see him as the better Dr. Leonard Bones McCoy. I see him as Dr. Leonard Bones McCoy. Mm Mm-hmm what he has done in this the tit for tat that he does with spock in this movie in particular Mm -hmm. is something that this franchise has been missing now they had the tit for tat in the last two movies but this back and forth that's best friends bickering at each other and learning respect it's something that i have been missing and it is gorgeous it really is
0: bones is uh at the center of one of the funniest moments in this movie for me which is he and spock are surrounded by drones they're about to die (laughs) bones says well uh at least i won't die alone and then spock gets beamed out of there and bones does it at first (laughs)
1: like wow because I had died alone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love his delivery of that. It's like, well, that's just typical, of course. <laughs> it's so McCoy. Oh it's... yes. <laughs> what I, what love I love about their relationship is there's there's a certain kind of friendship that I'm actually really warming to in media and in fiction that I deeply love, where it's two people who hate each other immensely. Um, will constantly disparage each other and, like, never give each other respectful marks at all. <laughs> and yet they will, when the shit hits the fan, find each other, share a drink, and just be honest with one another. Because they're the only person they can be 100% honest with mm-hmm. because they don't yes. care about hurting each other's feelings at all whatsoever. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yes. And that's that's always kind of been their relationship. And there is actually a respect there. Um, it actually does yes. go both mm-hmm. ways. Spock outwardly tries to say it more often than McCoy with <laughs> their bones. Yeah. bones. Uh, but there is a deep respect there. There is a deep fondness. They do technically trust each other with their lives. Uh, McCoy will frequently complain about it and be like, Oh my God, do you even know what <laughs> you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> but he'll still like he'll still um, get in the rickety old shuttle, um, even if he uh, complains every every second of it. He'll get in the shuttle with Spock. Uh, he he won't actually leave him. He'll carry him through a canyon while they're you know horribly surrounded and refuse to leave him. That's who Bones is. That's who McCoy is. And I just love this cantankerous, secretly very devoted and kind-hearted man but he doesn't want you to know that and especially in this movie Carl Urban does a fantastic job portraying that
0: and it's the chemistry between uh Zachary Quinto and Carl Urban is what mm-hmm. makes those scenes yes it's it just does. it's so yes. good they're, they're, the, the interactions like is you right like that's one of the most fun pairings in old Star Trek and they completely nailed it mm-hmm. in this movie I, I agree with mm-hmm. you troy that like There were some fun moments with the two of them in the previous two movies, but we got to see so much more of that dynamic in this film, which is actually one of the things I I really, it's one of the standouts for me in in this movie. The interactions between Spock and Bones, they were really smart with the way they paired paired characters up in this, you Mm -hmm. know, like a lot of this is Spock and Bones together. Uh, Jayla and Scotty, we, we, we just touched on, like, make a great pair in this movie as well. And let's, let's touch on some of the rest of the crew. Like, okay, one thing I wanted to to touch on, um, and I hope this doesn't end up being a controversial topic, but Sulu in this film... Uh, who is revealed to have a family, which he has a family in the, the original uh, uh, timeline as well. He does have a daughter who also ends up serving on another enterprise. Mm-hmm. But uh, we, we see that he does have a husband in this movie mm-hmm. or, a, you know, a, ma- a male significant other in this movie, which I was, you know, I, I, I'm sure was done as, as an homage to George Takei, who played the original Sulu, who was a gay man in real life. What was interesting was George Takei came out and said that he was not a fan of the fact that they made Sulu gay in the movies because he was bas- He basically just made the argument of, you know, I might be a gay man, but Sulu isn't. And, you know, if you want to have gay characters in Star Trek, make new characters, I think is basically what he said. So I'm just curious to see, like, what you guys' point of view is of that thing. Because, I mean, it's, it, it becomes kind of a, an interesting and tricky topic when we're kind of navigating this.
2: You know... George Decay comes from a place of suffering. He had to hide it for so long. He had to hide it until the 2000s. Mm-hmm. you know. And it, and it was a big thing. George Decay is gay? Oh, my. And then he became an ally, and then he started making things better. But he had to re- remake his career. Mm-hmm. And in early Hollywood, they were tortured. Uh, it's one of the reasons why William Shatner and George Takei don't really get along is because William Shatner was one of those who tortured him. So, I think it is what it is. We have to take his comment and say, I'm sorry you came from that point in history and you're bitter about it. I accept your thoughts. But, a note to Star Wars, this is how you do it. Mm -hmm. You don't just hint about it. You show a family. Mm -hmm. You take a main character and you show that they are gay it doesn't have to be it doesn't even have to be a kiss it really doesn't Mm -hmm. but to take a main character and to do this is what we need for representation it's not important that sulu is gay it doesn't affect his job and there isn't there isn't a lot of lines that go to it there's not it's just we see him and his family And that's all we needed from from Star Wars. But they chickened out. They chickened out because they didn't want it to be cut out in some of their international showings. But they did write in Star Star Wars. And I imagine J.J. Abrams probably had an idea to do this with a main character that he had created. But Disney and Lucasfilms probably stepped in the way and said, no, we can't do that because we'll lose money over here. J.J. Abrams is good at showing diversity. He is. And I am glad that they took Sulu, one of the most prickly characters, and showed us that, that family side of him.
1: George Takei's experience, his opinions on that, those are 100% valid. And I also get that he had not played the character as gay, partially because, again, at that time, it was very much not accepted. He'd backed off. He hadn't played the character as gay. On the other hand, I do think those moments of casual representation are fine. And if you go by the movies and the shows, there's not really anything saying that Sulu could not be gay. He has a daughter, but we never hear anything about his spouse whatsoever in the original series. So as far as Ken is concerned... He could have had a husband in, you know, the original series. Um, Could be the exact same husband and daughter that he has in this movie. I do also like the nod to his daughter, who we do briefly meet in Star Trek Generations. And so here we we do get to see uh, when Kirk only knew her as Yi Hai. I do also like that that moment is important. Not necessarily because, um, just because of the representation or to, you know, say that, you know, his sexuality is a big thing. But as Kirk looks at Sulu and his husband leaving happily, that's something that he feels he can't have himself. Because of yes. his responsibilities, because mm-hmm. of his life, he goes off and sees, you know, Sulu and his husband and his daughter, this happy family, yes. and he knows that there's kind of an empty spot in his own life for that. You, you can see that on Chris mm-hmm. Pine's face. And that's, that's, that's a beautiful moment as well. Just the longing for family, for some level of stability, which you know, is, is a major part of Kirk's story. So it's a minor beat, but, you know, that moment is important. And ultimately, I like it. And I also generally just like Sulu in this movie. He is, you know, he's still very much the same Sulu as established. He's this very competent, direct, can at times be prickly, but also warm-hearted. This, this Sulu is 100% cut from the same cloth as Uh, Sulu from TOS, George Takei's original performance. I I loved seeing moments, especially in Undiscovered Country, when we see him take that captain's role, that he's a very, you know, when he has a chance to be in command, when he has a chance to lead situations, he is a very direct, um, very no-nonsense person who will do anything to do the right thing. Damn the odds, damn the risk. Fly her apart, then. And I love that, you know, even here, the first scene we see him in, in captivity. He and Ahura are sneaking out, and they already have their own plan together. I love Zulu in this movie, um, even though his role is not as not as large as some of the other characters.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I pretty much echo as far as you know the the, the whole um, the George Decay thing. Like, I, I I pretty much agree with you guys. Like, I I understand why he feels that way, but I I actually do think that this was good this is a good example of organic representation uh within the film because like this the scene would not have really been any different if it had been sulu with a wife and daughter like it would have been the exact same scene it's just the fact that it happens to be a husband but like the fact that that's not a big deal like that just goes to also the idea of the star trek future which is tolerance and understanding and acceptance of everybody we're still we're growing as a species. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Any any thoughts on Uhura? I felt she was underutilized in this movie personally. I just, yeah.
2: She was. She was. was. They could have done so much more with her. I completely agree with you. It makes me think about um uh, what is it? Star Trek 5 when uh she does the little dance and then the original Uhura. God, mm-hmm. that Uhura was so Ryan. stupid.
0: That scene. That was, oh, that was... oh god. Yeah, I hate yeah. that scene.
2: Stuff like that. I don't know. It's just I want to see kick-ass Uhura. That's what it made me think of thinking of Uhura in this movie. Mm-hmm. She didn't get much action. She didn't get much agency. Yes. Mm-hmm. She didn't get her own storyline. Mm-hmm. She really didn't. It was it was more of a, are we on, are we off again? I'll wait for you. Like they did with uh, Natalie Portman mm-hmm. and uh, in Thor, which is a waste of Natalie Portman.
1: I honestly felt that Uhura's role in this movie is to be dragged... By various characters from one scene to another with very little... Like, the yeah. one thing that she does in this movie, and it was a cool It was a cool bit, was she does the saucer separation. Um, she mm-hmm. saves the ship, and to her knowledge, sacrifices herself, because then she's stuck in a room in a falling part of the ship with the big bad. And I'm like, that's cool. And then that's the last thing she actually does the rest of the movie. She's just... Yes. She's the rubber ducky. Like, you know, encoding... You have someone talk to the rubber ducky so they can figure out what they're doing. She's the exposition rubber ducky. People drag her to various rooms so they can tell her and tell the audience, you know, by extension, what's going on. And I'm like, that's some bullshit.
0: I saved this sad one for last, uh, but I do do feel the need to touch Mm -hmm. on this, that this is the (sighs) Chekhov... Doesn't have a huge role in this movie. He has a couple good moments, but he doesn't have a huge role in this movie. I also felt that in some ways he was a little underutilized. But this, I really do love Anton Yelchin as Chekhov in all three of these movies. I think he just does a great job. And unfortunately, he is also no longer with us. Uh, died at an incredibly young age. Just any thoughts on just the legacy? I, guess, I know this is a very a big thing to talk about, but just the overall legacy of Anton Yelchin in in, in this character and even just otherwise.
1: He, he brought such an eagerness to Chekhov. And that's... In the original series, I felt that Chekhov was a little cynical in a lot of ways. He uh, often had a... Uh, Russian proverb for when things are going wrong. You know, he he was kind of the junior statesman, um, ju- junior officer. Uh, he was the he was the young guy that everyone liked having around. And here that that kind of matches. Uh, Chekhov, Anton Yelchin is the the wunderkind who you totally see that you totally believe it every time he's on there. Anton really uh, played him as often being like way in over his head. But he was he was ready for situations he didn't know he was ready for, and that's that's how he often played Chekhov, and I really found that a fun dynamic. Um, he worked really well with Kirk. I love I love them teaming up here. How they managed to form an unspoken plan when they were heading to the saucer. He he brought just just such a lot of energy and eagerness to Chekhov that kind of makes it almost more heartbreaking that. Chekhov has this feeling of being, you know, a very promising young man still early in his career, and that's heartbreaking, because that's exactly who Anton Yelchin was, too. I think it is both a fitting memorial to who uh, this version of Chekhov was, as played by Anton Yelchin, and especially, I think, to to Anton Yelchin himself. I do wish he'd had a larger role, but when they were making the movie, they had just obviously no way of knowing um, that this would be his last film. Again, this was not a very large role, but I do think that it was what we had was good. Um, it, it definitely played to his strengths. Well, shit.
2: <laughs> yep, yeah. I think that we haven't gotten another uh, Star Trek in, with these characters because uh, they're trying to think of a way to handle the checkoff thing. Should they make him go away to another ship? They can of another Reliance. Should they kill him off? Yes. Okay. First off, uh, Anton Yelchin. Is, his his family uh, produced a documentary yeah. uh, for Anton Yelchin, and it's and it's about how he was in life, uh, and it's called uh, Love and Tosha. It's of an hour and a half. It came out in 2019. It's worth a watch. You get to see the actor in life and. It's heartwarming. Watch it. It's it's nice to kind of know Anton Yelchin that way. He was a phenomenal actor, and he came at this character, and he blossomed. And he got a good ride before he went off to be Space Dust. And it's sad. We have these three movies that we can remember him in, and we can watch the other things that he's done and be thankful for the short time that he had. So he will be missed. But I don't think it's going to... The way they wrote the first three, the character is easily replaced. I hate to sound horrible. I really do. But I'm looking at it as a producer. Um, The fans are going to be bitchy no matter what. But I, I think they have Jayla to replace him. I think they wrote her up enough to where you could replace uh, Chekhov with Jayla, mm-hmm. and I would put Jay and I would put uh, Chekhov on his own ship as captain. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. It was it was wonderful. Thank you. I actually agree. Um, that's how I would fix that. Yeah. That's how I would fix that because it is a legacy, and I am thankful for for mm-hmm. the actor. He was amazing, but it is what it is.
0: And they, they can have, like, a nice moment in the next one. I, I really hope they make another yes. one of these. But they can have a nice moment in the next one of, like, let's let's toast Chekhov for his, his new promotion, you know. Like, and have, yep. have it be this kind of meta, you know. I, I thought what they did with Paul Walker in Theory of Seven was so beautiful about how the movie yeah. acknowledged the real-life tragedy while while still giving the character a happy ending. And I think they can do the same thing with yes. Chekhov. I really
1: do. It's, yeah. I think one one easy way to do it is have um, maybe yeah, maybe have Jayla come back. That's actually one early thing you can do in the movie is have Jayla fresh out of the academy. She's a, now a junior officer back in the Enterprise under recommendation of Kirk and Scotty, and you know, have her uh, maybe comment. It's like, Oh it's checkoff, it's like, Yeah, you just just missed his party, he posted first officer on the reliant or something and yeah, have have some acknowledgement that his, you know, he got a happy happy life, a happy send off.
2: There is a new Star Trek greenlit, and uh, it will be out in twenty twenty three. Okay. Whether it will be this same franchise or whether it will be something different, I don't know. But there is a new
0: and 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 hopefully it does greenlit. come out. I just feel like they keep saying they're going to make another movie so many times. It's like. Oh, it's gonna be Quentin Tarantino's gonna do it. Noah Hawley's <laughs> gonna do it. It's like they keep going with no, different it's not like Quentin directors Tarantino's. and all that. And it's just like, like the Tarantino one, I think is dead at this point. Um,
2: but I, but it is it's shelved.
0: Yeah, but oh, um, you. but it's just like they keep they keep saying that they're gonna make another one of these, and it's just like okay, like this th- this movie came out like five years ago, you
2: know, like what what are you making
0: another one, guys?
2: What happens is these large studios. Uh, give out this leak, mm-hmm. um, and they test the waters to see how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. The Quentin Tarantino was an idea. They were like, maybe some, maybe someone wants a new uh, Star Trek. Uh, the next Star Trek will be directed by Quentin Tarantino. Let's see how that goes. Mm-hmm. And people revolted against it, and they were like, ooh, let's shelve that. Let's not talk about another movie for a little bit. And then after that died down, they were like, hey, guys, what do you think about a new movie? And if there's a large enough interest, they greenlight it. Yeah. It's it's just studio politics. Yeah. Um, you gotta if you're putting this much money into a movie and you're getting it financed, you gotta be able to pay off that debt. So, it is greenlit. It does have a date. Okay. So that means that they have people attached to it and people are working on it and there's a script being written. I don't know who's writing the script. But um, it is greenlit and being put together. I imagine that it was probably, something was probably pitched to them because a cameo by William Shatner uh, has also uh, been approved. Okay. I don't know how they're going to work that in. We'll
0: see what happens with that. Mm -hmm. I know there was a version of it that was being talked about several years ago, which I was actually interested in this, where they were actually going to bring Chris Hemsworth back. Which to me would have been this interesting mm-hmm. thing of uh, like you mm-hmm. know what if uh, the Kelvin like went to the you know the wormhole the and, Nexus. and 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 he he came out at a different point in time and now like Jim Kirk and his dad are reunited in the same age would would have been really interesting uh, to, to
2: it would have been interesting yeah.
0: So mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I, I, it it'd be cool if they if they went back to that idea because I always thought that idea was was actually really interesting. But uh, I think it would be cool.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I would like to revisit the Nexus. I yeah. I thought that it was a fascinating. I thought it was a fascinating part of Star Trek history. Mm-hmm. The
0: Nexus. Yeah. I have I have issues with the Nexus as a plot device. I actually like that movie, but I just feel that the Nexus doesn't actually make any sense today. Kind <laughs> of close scrutiny, <Yeah>. but. <laughs>
2: Generations is right up there with my favorite. With my favorite Star Trek,
0: I I, I definitely I put it strongly in the better half. I will say that mm-hmm. I actually yeah. do like Generations quite a bit. It's not one of my top top favorites, but I think it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. I actually do think it's a good movie. Yeah. It's not the final frontier. Um, the Nexus is actually my decision <laughs> <issue>. is that... <laughs> It's not the final frontier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want to talk about some of these villains. Uh, okay, crawl. Here's where my big problem with the movie comes in. Prowl is one of the worst Star Trek villains ever. I'm just going to say it. He's terrible. When I'm not actively watching the movie, like, I don't even, like, remember what the hell his name is. Like, (laughs) or when I don't have my notes in front of me. It's, it's like, here's a guy who, okay, he used to be a Starfleet guy. Now he, like, discovered the secret to immortality, which is sucking the life from other people. Now he looks like an alien. He talks really weirdly for some reason. And he just wants to kill everybody to bring back the struggle of humanity. What? What can, What the fuck kind of motivation is that? Like, I know, I know these villains often have kind of flat motivations, but, like, I... I got where both Nero and Khan were coming from, even from a villain's standpoint, way more than this guy. Like, he was just bland. He was the blandest villain ever. I don't know. I really did. I love Idris Elba. I did not like this character at all.
1: I was going to say, I like this movie quite a bit. I think it's very fun. I like the hero's journey quite a bit. I'm actually going to agree 100% when it comes to crawl. This was a fucking waste of Idris Elba. Literally anyone could have been under that prosthetic, spewing out the really weird pronunciations with that extremely flat motivation. Uh, this this was a goddamn waste of Idris Elba. I, I hated that this was the character they had in place so much, and... It's just a really boring-ass character. He, he he's There's nothing compelling about him. Every great Star Trek villain has something at least interesting. They at least have style, if nothing else. And he's, mm-hmm. this guy's got fucking nothing. He's got not a goddamn thing. That's all I have to say about him. I think of Brawl. What, the movie Kroll? <laughs>
2: Kroll is... That was a fucking awesome movie. Oh my god, when I was a kid, I fucking loved that. It's fun. Liam I like Kroll. Yeah, I actually taken
0: do like Kroll. Taken with Krull. a <laughs>
2: taken with a giant ninja star. Yeah, I still need to see, I've seen
1: the scene where he gets the glaive from the lava or water. I don't oh know, my god. Weird. And that was, that was boss, I'm but fucking, I still need to see the whole movie.
2: I'm watching that fucking movie tonight. I'm watching that fucking movie tonight. <laughs> that, oh my god. All right, my children are going to hate y'all for making them watch that movie. I just want you to know. (laughs) (laughs) Crawl reminds me... Do you remember the skin stretchers in the Star Trek uh, Next Generation Yeah, the
1: the Sonar. Um,
2: F. Murray Abraham. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the Uh, the Insurrection? Insurrection. Yes.
0: Oh, that was the worst one.
2: (laughs) This is the first time... I know, I agree. I completely agree. (laughs) But that's what it reminds me of. It's weak, it's it's too flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's a flat villain, he's a flat villain, and it's too flat for the situation, I think. Mm-hmm. I think the things that he's endured, there's just nothing that I can defend. I want to, I want to defend this f- poor villain, but I can't, I, I have nothing. But I rank him with, I rank him with the sauna. Mm-hmm. Not entertaining, not badass enough. Uh, mm-hmm. The stakes are high. The stakes are high as fuck. Oh yeah, the stakes are higher than Tommy Chong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But (laughs) but Idris Elba
1: got cows and (laughs) airplanes.
2: Idris Elba should have been able to to ride a little bit. I'm just saying they should have organically worked that out because it was it was rough. Mm -hmm. It was it was rough. It was like you didn't even spit on it before you started rough.
0: <laughs> I say, the, the one thing about casting Idris Elba is that moment where you realize that he was a human at one point, and seeing actual Idris Elba, like this, the, the awareness of the fact that he's Idris Elba, and then seeing actual Idris Elba, I guess is kind of a moment in the movie. But it's still not, you know. I, I agree that he was wasted.
1: That mm-hmm. moment was for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. Ooh, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the last thing, I will say one last thing about Kroll. It still ties in with everything. It doesn't contradict anything I've said. I'm I'm a certified monster fucker. I actually like, you know, big, ugly monsters. I kind of think they're hot. Yeah. I'm weird like that. Yeah. And I definitely like Idris Elba. He's, oh, good Lord, he's amazing. Num, 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 you num, had num, Idris Elba num, as a num, monster, num, and you didn't have him be a hot monster. And that <laughs> was an mistake. <laughs> that was a deep mistake. <laughs>
2: I agree. I agree. I could have went without a shirt or something like that. Let's get him half naked or something. Yeah. <laughs> Put him in a g-string, baby. <laughs>
0: One big issue that I have with this movie, which is kind of it's it's somewhat related to to crawl, but more just to the overall conflict of this movie, the bees that that he commands <laughs> his fleet or whatever. Mm-hmm is so ridiculously overpowered (laughs) that I don't know why he needs the MacGuffin thing that that he's after the
2: whole movie. Why do you need it?
0: Why do you need it?
2: (laughs) Think about the name. Think about the name. What does MacGuffin mean? What is the definition of MacGuffin? An object or device in a movie or a book that serves merely as a trigger for the plot. genius writing that's what i
0: i don't think it's genius writing because you can make a mcguffin but still make it feel like it's justified within the plot because like you know you get like the one ring like sauron needs the one ring to be a person to be physical again um it's like with, with this he didn't... He didn't need the MacGuffin in order to accomplish his goal. Like... The there's bees that, yeah. took apart the, the... The Enterprise, which is like the best ship in Starfleet, mm-hmm. especially after they blew up the Vengeance at the end of the last movie. So the Enterprise is, is theoretically the best ship in Starfleet, and it gets taken apart in seconds by mm-hmm. the bees. I think that... But they also I didn't there's... The, the fight against the bees should have been a little less one-sided, and we should have said, okay... The Enterprise is holding its own for a minute so we can say that, okay, maybe the whole of the Starfleet's armada can actually take these things down. Or, you know, there shouldn't have been the MacGuffin in, in the plot in, to, to begin with.
2: I actually agree with that about the bees, uh, that yeah. it should have been a better fight between uh, the ship and the
1: bees. I it do was, agree It was with
0: too that. easy. The Enterprise was torn apart way too easily and way too fast, I felt like.
1: They, they made a point of... You know, having uh, Sulu and Ahura send the distress call, it's like, oh, yes, the other ships protecting Yorktown will be drawn away in the nebula. I'm like, why do you need to draw them away? You just took down the flagship of the Federation in like five seconds with no issue whatsoever. Why do you need to draw them away? You could have just destroyed them this whole time. I I agree. If the fight had been less one-sided, if he'd lost a significantly larger number of the bees, you know, if it made it clear that, okay, he's strong, but not overpowered, like made it look like the Enterprise is about to win for a second. And then they do something like cut the throat. Then yeah, that would have made it feel believable. But as is, I agree. It's like, he doesn't need the MacGuffin. This is stupid.
0: The only thing I'm going to touch on with uh, Kalara, which is the main Ends up being the main, like, kind of female henchman who also, you know, was, kind of of fooled everybody into thinking that, you know, she was the captain of some other ship. I don't have much to say about her because I thought she was a bland secondary villain. I Um, liked the way that they, uh, and this is such a tiny thing, but I liked the way... The, the new way that they portrayed the idea of a universal translator in this movie of actually hearing them speak the other yeah. language and then hearing mm. uh, English spoken yeah. on top of it. I thought that was kind of cool. I don't have much I to say so other too. than that. <laughs> I don't really have any other comments about
2: her because I thought she was just bland, but... Yeah, I like that aspect.
1: The only thing about that that I find weird is that uh, both um, Kroll and Menace, um, we'll get to Menace in a second, who is just remarkably forgettable, but both of them can speak English still. Um, Cause they're, they're from the earth originally. They're true. Human, we're human. They can speak English still. The fact that Kalara, even after she reveals herself to be a villain is still speaking this other language is just weird to me. It's like, all right. So you just like, forget, like, even when other people are speaking English to you, it's not coming back at all. You're not, even trying you're still just speaking that other because she's supposedly one other human as well like they briefly show each of the files of the three henchies um right as they're being closed out at the end and like she she was part of his original crew too what the fuck yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I forget, I forget that sometimes because I go through so much of the movie thinking that she actually is an alien, but I, I, yeah. I guess she is actually.
1: But I do like the the one thing I like about Kalara is just the way she's defeated is, you know, nicely poetic. She's the one who is responsible for killing the Enterprise and in the end, the Enterprise kills her. And that was also just a cool visual scene. But uh, yeah, apart from that, I don't have much thoughts on her that you haven't already touched on. There's a lot
0: of stuff in this movie that reminds me of Mass Effect. <laughs> and uh, like, because the, the Yorktown is pretty much the citadel. I've I've it always is. made that comment that the Yorktown is basically exactly yeah. like the citadel from Mass Effect. But Kalara, I think this movie actually came out before this game. But Kalara reminds me so much of uh the guys from Mass oh, Effect and Drama. Yeah, and the she the looks just like that them. Jarl is part. Yeah, she remind yeah. like she reminds me so much of them. She really does. Yeah.
1: The one other thing I'll say about the third Henshi is that. For being so much a huge part of Jayla's backstory, he was so goddamn forgettable. The only thing I remember about him is his name, and that's just because it makes me think of that uh, one movie that was covered by MST3K, and Manos, the Hands of Fate. Uh, other than that, this man it's was Menos the blandest... The hands of fate. The blandest henshi that ever existed. Like, good lord, everyone. Like you, you. Like, straight like up you're, center, talking, you're...
0: you're talking about him, yeah. Zach. I literally, I literally don't remember him. I like you're talking about that's, him. I literally fair, don't that... remember him in the movie. And I watched the movie two. I watched the movie two nights ago, and I don't know who you're talking about. I also <laughs> don't. No, that's, that's completely fair.
1: Yeah, he leaves no impression whatsoever.
0: When we think of the, the kind of big climax of the way we defeat the bees is by disrupting their signal with, with sabotage by the Beastie Boys. I th- I thought that was it, w- it was fun. It was it was a fun callback. That to was awesome. That, that that song was used uh in, in the first in the Star Trek two thousand nine mm-hmm. and yes. just the, the poeticism of them sabotaging the fleet with a song called Sabotage, you know. <laughs> yes.
1: That was that was fun as hell. <laughs> it's
2: good writing. It is good writing. Yeah, it's seriously. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, very, very nice call. it's hilarious. It's it's old school Trek humor. It's mm-hmm. old school Trek humor.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I I thought it was great.
1: It's it's a little on the nose, but just seeing the wave of light as all the all the bees explode, um, and the, you know Franklin surfs this wave of light through like this literal wave of bees. It's just like, uh, this is <laughs> fucking cool. This is. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's not it's not necessarily like the most you know intellectual plan but it wins several several cool points so it's like no you win yeah, okay you can go ahead <laughs> it's edited really well
0: mm-hmm. it is yeah, yeah the, the sequence is edited really yes. well like i just love the fact that you know greg, greg grunberg is like all right broadcast it on all on all channels and like right when they do yes. this is the part of the song that goes like what and then, like, all oh, oh, the all the bees blow up. It's like, it's yeah. just perfect. The timing is just perfect, you know? <laughs> it is. God, it's so, so good. Nice. Uh, and I just, oh, I love God. me some Beastie Boys, too. I love the oh, Beastie yeah. Boys. And then, any other thoughts on this climax? There was kind of a cool, you know, uh, zero-G fight with Kirk and Crawl at the end. Yeah, I thought it was pretty well done.
2: I always get excited about the zero-G because if you grew up reading the Star Trek books or any time... There is the promise of seeing that zero-G uh, mm-hmm. reaction um, and them having to go into this. It's that ultimate man versus nature because it is the cold of space. It is zero gravity. Mm-hmm. I, it's the excitement of, of Star Trek. It's something you don't get to see that often in, in uh, Star Wars except for when you read about... Mm-hmm. Uh, Vader jumping from one ship to the other, which is fucking awesome, mm-hmm. mind you. Um, but, uh, which they do in Lords of the Sith. To get to see this fight happen, it's fucking awesome. And I love it. It's it's exciting. It's it's using science and bringing that fiction together to give me that old school sci-fi with that new vibe and, and new production. So... Anytime Star Trek promises me zero G, I mean, you hear Riker, Picard, Worf, you hear all these people complain about zero G training at the Academy. So anytime you get to see that in an episode or in a movie, it's, it brings me back to childhood uh, thinking about these characters having to be trained through that. Uh So, and it's thinking about Starfleet training
1: in and of itself. I loved the Yorktown set piece, even when it was introduced. It's just it's just a fun, it's a good design. They really did take this concept. It's like, wait a minute, we're in space. There is no up, there is no down. We can have an entire gorgeous city where you can look up and see someone walking on what looks to you like the ceiling just in relative directions is so weird. I also love like the little personal transporter. I'm like, that's so cool, it's just like... You know, you walk to a transport booth just to go over, you know, to a different part of the city. That's so fun. Oh, those are suicide booths. You know, well, oh, so that guy was just... Kill- okay, cool. Um, I also love the cool design of having the ship bays, like the docking bays, be underneath a pool so people can... You know, look down in the water and see the koi splashing yes. happily above, you know, incoming ships. And then I love how they integrated that into the final fight. That was that was so cool. Yeah. Um, just this mind-bending fight in such a cool set piece. I love the visual. The one thing I'll give crawl is I, I love that visual of him figuring out how to get back to the chamber by watching the falling glass. Mm-hmm. You know, falling in this unusual gravity stream. I'm like, oh, yes. that's so cool. That is such a cool bitch. So That was actually good. I don't like Crawl, but that was a that was a boss fight scene.
0: Okay, there's only one other scene I want to very briefly touch on, which I actually did. I, I forgot to put it in the notes. but th- So this movie was directed by Justin Lin, who is the most frequent director of the Fast and Furious. He's not the only director of the Fast and Furious mm-hmm. franchise, but he's the most frequent director of the Fast and Furious franchise. He did Tokyo Drift through 6 and also 9. There's a scene in this movie that is so straight out of Fast and Furious 6. Like, in Fast and Furious 6, Vin Diesel, like, Michelle Rodriguez launches through the air, and Vin Diesel, like gets launched from the car and like catches her like in midair they literally did the same thing with kirk and jayla (laughs) at one point in this movie it's like oh god for most of this movie i didn't really see much of the the you know much parallels to fast and furious like except for that that one moment like and i enjoy it i actually do enjoy it but it's just just always been kind of funny to me
1: I, i thought it was fun like the the whole scene with the bike I bought it because, again, they do point out that the Franklin is a much older ship. And this was one of the first actual Federation ships that they were sending off. I do also, this is also a Kirk that is a little more fascinated with, you know, motorcycles, fast cars, that sort of thing. In the first movie, obviously, he had his own motorcycle that he rode. Um, So him being on a cool bike chase scene, I'm like, all right, okay. That that actually tracks for this version of Kirk and
0: Of course they beam him in. They beam him in from the ship supposedly, and when he's beamed weird. in, he's already going at full speed on the back bike. How had he built like what did he just did he like nothing, drive up to full yes. speed onto the the dress water pad?
2: <laughs> You're not supposed to think about that.
0: <laughs> I know, we're not supposed uh, to think about that stuff.
2: <laughs> again though, the the motorcycles and the racing. It's not indicative to uh, this Kirk. Mm-hmm. It's not just this Kirk. Um, you actually have uh, stories about Kirk horseback riding, oh, yeah. horseback uh, racing, riding. and motorcycles. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the 90s, there were stories about Kirk reminiscing oh, yeah. about those. So it's it's very much uh, Kirk core.
1: Oh, yeah. And we do know the original Kirk was like quite the thrill seeker, you know, mountain climber. Yes. That sort of yeah. thing.
0: Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? <laughs> it's to
1: envelop the mountain. It's to make love. In Generations, he does
2: the, in the cutscene. Mm-hmm. Now, when it was first released into the theaters, mm-hmm. and you watched it in the theaters, I might be a little older than y'all and remember this better, but there's this scene where he, um, they um, kind of parachute it starts off in this adventure where they're parachuting down, and it's and it's uh, just to show, even at his older age, Kirk is still seeking these thrills.
0: Why would they cut that out? That sounds cool.
2: <laughs> I don't know. You can look it up on on uh, YouTube and watch it, but yeah. in the in the theatrical release, uh, and it's and it's ozone, it's it's ozone jumping. Okay, uh, they're way up. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's, well, it's like the be- like awesome. the
0: beginning of the Power Rangers movie.
2: They're, they're like, skydiving <laughs> yes, <down laughs> <and peppers>. yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: People, keep on peepling.
2: I think that's the one. Right? <laughs> it's better than any.
0: Yeah. I th- I think we will probably. I think we've are. actually covered pretty much most of the movie. Are Are you guys ready to go into overall thoughts?
1: I think we have. The only thing I'll mention is that. I was really, really hoping for no other reason than I'm a sucker for the design. I was really hoping the uh, Enterprise A would have those uh, nacelles from like the TOS movies. I really like those. But other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm, pretty much, I'm pretty much done. Zach, why don't you go ahead with your overall thoughts? So I think this is it's a fun movie for me. It's kind of, it doesn't have the greatest transformation for its characters. It's more of an affirmation of who they are at this point in their lives. But it's a fun journey overall. It has a lot of good character dynamics, especially among the main cast. You have the cock, uh, not not cock. Uh, my bad. Um, Kirk <laughs> Spock. Cock is er, Kirk or er, McCoy and Spock. That's, sure their, some... that's their ship. Yeah. <laughs> that's the ship. That's the ship name. McCoy and Spock. Bones and Spock. They're team up. Uh, you have Scotty and Jayla. I love Scotty in this movie. He's He's fantastic. Um, I love that. The direction is actually super interesting. There's a lot of cool shots in this movie, a lot of good transitions. Um, so I really like Justin Lin's direction. Uh, the thing that brings down the movie is that Crawl and his, his little crew are some of the most piss-poor villains I've ever seen. They're absolutely terrible. But this movie is about the heroes. It's not about the villains. Um, the villains are one note. Again, I think that any version of this movie would not have the villains be that important, but, you know, it would have been nice that they had a little more something. So, overall, I'm going to give this one a 7 out of 10. I'll say this. I do actually like this movie. I think
0: that this movie is fun while I'm watching it. I just find it, honestly, very forgettable. And a lot of that does have to do with the blandness of the villains and not just the fact that they themselves, like, I, I get the thing about, you know, it's about the heroes. It's not about the villains. And I, and I do feel that with, with a lot of movies, but I I just think that a side effect of the villains being bland, like, I just think the plot is just not that good in this movie. I think what this movie is about just isn't really interesting, which is my fundamental issue with the movie. It is for myself. It's my least favorite of these three movies. But I still like it a fair bit. Uh, and I do think that the Kelvin trilogy is so far probably the most consistent of the three series of Star Trek movies. I mean, there's only three of them so far. But so far, I think it's the the, the most consistent, in my opinion, because there really hasn't been a stinker so far. I like this movie. Ish is not my favorite. Uh, I'll, I'll, I actually also will give it a 7 out of 10.
2: I think it's the best of the trilogy. so when you said that when you said that it's your least favorite i was like that makes sense yeah no it
0: does
2: (laughs) (laughs) the crappy villains we always have crappy villains sauron in uh in generations and Mm -hmm. mcdowell is amazing Mm -hmm. i love mcdowell but sauron is it's not that great I like him better than crawl. I also <laughs> <honestly> do. <laughs> um, Star Trek has a history of bad villains. It does. It really does. Um, but that's because Star Wars has a spoil Because they have the best villains ever written. Mm-hmm. So I accept bad villains. Even as an actor who usually plays a villain.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I accept the bad villains. And at least I got to see Idris Elba. You know, I'm not going to complain there. I like that... They might have had these little cheat thrills like the bee and the MacGuffin, but I like that they wrote it as is and that they had that subliminal. If, if you are a filmmaker, you see how genius it was written. You see the joke, you get the joke. <laughs> the MacGuffin. <laughs> That's stupid. I think it's the best written. I think that, with the exception of Ohura and Chekhov, The rest of the characters were written for the fans. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, with the Hura, they didn't give us much to work with in the original. Mm -hmm. And that's something that Michelle Nichols uh, complains about. Mm -hmm. Um, And she thought about quitting until she had a little talk with uh, fans and other people. And they told her Mm -hmm. the good that she was doing, even though they weren't giving her the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they did share that one uh biracial kiss which was urged by Lucille Ball, mm-hmm. mind you, and pushed. So you know, there was that. But I think we need a badass Uhura movie. We really mm-hmm. do. That's where I kinda cut at. And I think in this trilogy they were trying to they were trying to find something for Uhura. They were trying to carve it out, but she ended up becoming arm candy mm-hmm. in the long run. That's my biggest knock about this movie, is that Uhura becomes, she has action. She has action, I know, but she's still kind of just the waiting type. I do like what they do with her in the end, but it's just, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I really don't fucking like that. Yeah. Um, how she has to be given as a present, I, mm-hmm. it irks me. The ships, the technology, the VFX, the chemistry between everyone and the story, it's just fucking fun. Mm-hmm. And they don't forget the little the little tidbits of science for the most part, except for, you know, it's J.J. Abrams. They kind of mm-hmm. stand on a car going 100 miles an hour or whatever. <laughs> but I have to give it a 9 out of 10. I think it's the best in the series. And this series, I rate it, I rate it up there with probably Generations. It brings me memory of Generations, and Generations was a good movie. So yeah, a a 9 out of 10. I I enjoy it, Mm -hmm. and I'll watch it over and over again.
0: It's funny. I actually probably also rated about the same as Generations, but <laughs> 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 I like Generations. It's not it's not one of my top that's ones. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh,
2: the Undiscovered Country is my favorite. Yeah,
1: that's that's that one's, that's so good. That undis- one's really I, I good. That actually it. is one of my top ones. Undiscovered undis- yeah. Country is amazing. Yeah. The one thing I'll say on the horror thing is she needs her. She needs either her uh, Darmok or her arrival. Like she needs a story where she is having a first contact moment where she's connecting yes. to uh, to a really unknown, to a really strange unknown species. Yes. Because she can do that, and I think she'd be amazing
2: in that kind of story. Yeah, to show that she's this intelligent linguist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do that better with Sigourney Weaver.
0: You ever mm-hmm. just stub your toe and you shout, ah, shaka when the walls fell! <laughs> <laughs>
1: Chaka with the ball spell at uh, (laughs) Darmak Angelot at (laughs) Tadagra (laughs) 96. Okay, Zach, where can the folks find you? Uh, The folks, they can find me on the Facebook at Zachariah Schneider. They can find me on the Twitters at Zachariah Schneider, uh, Zachariah Schneff 4.
0: All right, Troy, where can the folks find you? They can
1: find me at
2: Troy Hensley on Facebook and... I started a Twitter today at the Troy Hensley, uh, so you can now find me on Twitter. I will be sharing a lot of sick shit on there, so please come and and hate on my shit. Um, and Instagram is Troy Hensley as well. Maybe they'll catch me at Flappers. I'll keep you updated. Come watch my me talk shit.
0: And remember, if if by the time this airs, if you cannot find Troy on Twitter, it's probably because they got banned already. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs>
0: I'm Sam Wilson. You can follow me on Instagram at scwilson underscore actor. You can follow Nerd Shit at the NerdShit Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or on Twitter at the NerdShit. You can follow my band Running Riot at Running Riot Band on Instagram. We do release episodes weekly. Make sure you're subscribed to us, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts, any of the three. Make sure you're subscribed to us. Again, if you're listening to us now, you found us. Just make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Next up, we got Spider-Man! Spider Man two thousand two, we're doing it. The fir- the very the very first one. The very first Spider Man movie uh with with to- Toby Toby Maguire. Yeah, I'm actually I'm glad that's the one that I've been eager to get into, actually, are the, are those movies. Yeah. Sam Ooh.
2: Raimi's uh, little trilogy was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. I enjoy them, yeah. I don't I don't lust after Toby as much as, you know, Tom. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, they do have uh, they do have the <laughs> ultimate sex symbol in that movie. Of course, I am speaking of Willem Dafoe. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I would love to see him as the Joker. Yeah, God, I'd love to see him. He, him he as would the be, Joker. He, yeah, he would be fantastic for sure.
0: Well, for Troy Hensley and Zack Schneider, I'm Sam Wilson. Thank you for joining us for nerd shit. Nerd shit. Nerd shit. Stay shitty, nerds. so about the nerds.